Okay, I'm going to read uh, from Revelation chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible, um, you can open it in Revelation chapter 1. It's the last book of the New Testament, right at the end of our Bibles. And uh, it's a bit long, but uh, I, I kind of want to read it just to get the context, really to set the tone of where we're going. So Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel... Is it the jump? Oh, it might be. Is it where I'm standing? Sometimes it's the lights. Is it the speakers? It's the jumper. Cast off everything that hinders. Let's start again. Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what soon, what must soon take place. It made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power for ever and ever Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, every, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet 
were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen and what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and, on the seven, and, the, and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Wow, it's quite long, but uh, we're going we're gonna to spend the next seven or eight weeks looking at these seven letters that are mentioned in this chapter. When was the last time you received a handwritten letter from someone that you know and love? Maybe you did on Valentine's Day or maybe you didn't and I should stop right there. Not a text, an email or a tweet but a letter on paper. You don't see many of those nowadays do we? Addressed to you personally that wasn't a bill or a begging letter. Over the next few weeks we're going to focus on these seven letters sent to these seven churches and even just saying that statement is wrong because it says in here that the text that that was on that scroll was sent to all the seven churches in Asia. Not individual letters, but one big letter that they all received and read. Not just a small paragraph concerning that individual church. It was a send to all moment. It says, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. So four of these churches are never mentioned again in Scripture. We don't hear anything else about them, only in these letters in the book of Revelation. We know they existed because there is evidence. There's archaeological archaeological evidence in modern-day Western Turkey that tells us that the people existed there and that there were churches. Ephesus is mentioned and we know that that's mentioned in the New Testament because there's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church situated there. Thyatira is mentioned in the book of Acts chapter 16 verse 14 by Luke as he describes Paul's mission team sitting down by a river in Philippi and having a conversation with some women one of them being a lady called Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was from the city of Thyatira, and it says that she was a worshipper of God. And Laodicea is spoken of by Paul in his letter to the Colossians. He instructs those at Colossae to make sure that his letter to them is read to the Laodiceans, and that in turn, the letter that was sent to the Laodiceans is read to them. So this, this letter, this revelation, 
is a, a strange book to read. Most people find it difficult. Uh, it's not an easy, easy read. It does leave you questioning and wondering, what on earth is this all about? Well, it's because it's written in a, in a style called uh, apocalyptic. Anybody heard the word apocalyptic? It's a very difficult word to say, isn't it? Um, it's a word that comes from the Greek apocalypsis, which means revealing or unveiling. Some people think apocalypse is like destruction and nuclear war, and that, but apocalypse means to unravel, to reveal something. And it's a style of writing where you see imagery and pictures and, uh, and strange things, and actually they, they describe something. Uh, and there's a, you know, the, we, there are other books in the Bible, especially Daniel, that, that have this same style of writing. What did I put my drink? So, yeah, it can be quite a difficult uh, style to, to read and interpret. Daniel chapters 7 to 12 are written in this same style. His contain visions of pictures of beasts and scenes of judgment and destruction. The so Revelation is a letter that was written by someone called John. He introduces himself, who was on a small remote island in the Aegean Sea off the west coast of modern-day Turkey. And I say the, let the letter was written by John he was simply the pen. The author is Jesus. It's Jesus telling John what to write down. He's showing John stuff in this vision that he's having. And, and the, the, the command is to, to record it and to send it to these seven churches. It's called Revelation or the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not revelations. It is one revelation it's one revealing of who jesus is and what he in what in what ha, what unfolds uh, in time and the basic message of the letter book or scroll is that god is in control and all evil will eventually be destroyed so who is john well it's likely there are there is a, a bit of a debate around this but it is likely uh, to be the apostle john the brother of James, the two sons of thunder that Jesus nicknamed, probably because they were quite rough and ready and fiery. Is John is the one who leaned on Jesus' chest in the upper room at the Last Supper. And he is the last remaining apostle alive, one of the twelve, who had not been martyred. They'd all been killed, yeah? Either through beheadings, uh, killed with the swords or crucified. John was the last remaining one alive. There is a story that John was boiled in a, a vat of hot oil and survived. Isn't that amazing? He survived and escaped. So why is he on this island in Patmos? Well, he's been exiled. He has been sent away. He's been sent there as a way of separating him from uh, Christians, from churches, uh, and to silence him. It says in the letter that he was there because of the word of God 
and the testimony of Jesus. He's exiled as a result of anti-Christian persecution under the emperor, uh, Roman emperor Domitian. The Roman Empire put him there to contain him and to stop him spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're told who he is writing to. We've got a list of churches there, seven of them. And what are they going through? Why is he right? Why does Jesus want, a, want this letter written to them? Well, they're churches that are going through persecution too. They're, 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 they're being squeezed. They're, they're in poverty, some of them. They're under pressure. They're under pressure to conform to Roman ways and Roman laws. They've been infiltrated by pretend Christians, phony Christians. They are under the influence of those bringing false teaching. And uh, they're being influenced by those who live in immoral ways. And some churches have become lethargic, lukewarm, greedy and asleep. And their focus has been shifted off of Jesus. Jesus, for some of them, is not at the centre of their lives and their worship. <clears throat> so today I want to look at three things that I want to draw out from this, this passage. There is so much in here, we could go on forever, and we won't do that today because it's fairly cold and there is a, a time limit. So it's three things. First of all, I wanted to look a bit about John, the, the person that penned the letter. I want us to look at Jesus because Let's, let's face it, he is the centre of this revelation. And I want to look at John's response to Jesus. So the first thing I want to look at is, is John. And, and John is a man who endured suffering and hardship for the kingdom. Probably in a way we would never understand. And if we think of John's journey from humble fisherman with his dad in Zebedee in the boat with along with his brother being called by Jesus to to give up everything and follow him to be a fisher of man right up until later in life when he's an old man writing this letter he has been through huge suffering and persecution you know his brother James has been run through with a sword and killed he's seen that He's witnessed that. He's seen the, the saints of the church scattered and persecuted for their faith. We've talked about the, the vat of boiling oil. We, there must be so many things that he's been through and yet he has remained faithful to Christ. He hasn't given up on Jesus. He left everything to follow Christ. And he's a man of the Spirit and the word. I, I like the fact that in this scripture he says, I was in the spirit. On the Lord's day, the, the, the Sunday, he was in the spirit and he had this vision that Jesus was revealing to him. And uh, this wasn't, a, he wasn't asleep, he wasn't having a dream. This was a vision that God was giving him when he was in this intense time of prayer and worship of the Lord. He was a man of the spirit. He was open to spiritual things. He was open to God. He was, and he was a preacher of the word. 
He said that's the reason he was exiled to this place, because of the word of God and his testimony about Jesus. John is often referred to as John the Evangelist. I wonder how he got that name. It's because he didn't stop sharing about Jesus. He was, he, he was a man who just loved God, loved people, and loved to share all about Christ. And that's what got him into trouble. That's why he was separated and put on this island. He was the disciple uh, in his gospel that, that he says Jesus loved. How cheeky is that? He was a man full of love and, and the power of God and he'd been sent away. I wonder how many of us would get sent away to a remote place for sharing about Jesus. How many of us would be locked up because we, we keep banging on about Jesus and what he's done and what he's doing and the fact that he is, he was and he is to come, that he is the saviour of the world, that he was crucified in place of us, the fact that he, his blood was shed uh, to give us salvation, to cleanse us from sin, the fact that he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. How many of us would go on about that so much that we would be told to shut up we would be we would be sidelined we would be persecuted because we couldn't keep quiet about Jesus I'm not sure that I would whilst I have that desire we sometimes bow to the pressure don't we of of what people might think or what what they might say uh, to us John's an inspirational guy and I love the fact that he's, he's in his old age and he's still got plenty to give. He was influential even while he was in isolation. Even being on a remote island couldn't silence him. And he's a man who knew Jesus in life, death, resurrection, ascension and in glory. How many other disciples got to see Jesus in this way? I don't know. So there we have it, John, the author uh, or the writer of this letter. What a man. What a guy. Second thing I want to talk about this morning is about Jesus. And and Jesus, in this vision, uh, John sees him in a, in a very strange, uh, gives a very strange description of somebody he sees in this vision. He says this, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, this voice that was like a trumpet. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Wow. 
how do you how do you even begin to to draw that? I don't know if some of you are artists, how you would even begin to uh, describe or draw that. It's it's, it's crazy. Um, but first off, Jesus, uh, John says he sees somebody like a son of man. A son of man. And, and that's kind of like saying um, that he saw somebody who looked like the Messiah. That's, that's kind of what the term is alluding to. Jesus used this term son of man when he talked about himself. It's probably the most used phrase that Jesus uses to describe himself. Here's a few examples. The son of man came to serve and not be served, but to give his life as a ransom. That's Matthew 20, 28. When the son of man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. That's what Jesus is saying about himself, the Son of Man, Matthew uh, 25, 31. Mark 8, 31 says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. That's Jesus foretelling his crucifixion. John uh, 6, 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That's Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Come to me and eat. And it's also a term that the prophet Daniel uses. Uh, in Daniel 7, 13 to 14, he says this, another vision and from, a, from a prophet. Excuse me. <clears throat> Daniel 7, 13 to 14, he says, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me, was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. That sounds like Jesus to me. Uh, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed, the Son of Man. This is who John saw. John is describing what he saw in this vision, a description that reveals Jesus as he is now, high and lifted up, not as a baby in a manger or a boy sitting in the temple or a teacher walking the dusty roads of, of Israel or of a crucified rebel that the authorities wanted to silence. John is describing Jesus in his heavenly glory. And it has a human form. Jesus isn't transformed into some kind of weird and wacky thing. It has a human form. He has a face, he has hands, he has feet, he has a chest, he has hair, just like us. And John describes him wearing a robe and a golden sash across his chest. That's a picture of Jesus' kingship and royalty. It describes Jesus' hair white as wool and as white as snow. <clears throat> it's almost like what he's saying is that uh, Jesus' head is clean and pure. 
that his mind is full of wisdom. You know, grey hair is a sign of, well, they say, don't they? Grey hair is a sign of wisdom. So I'm, I'm kind of getting there. Uh, but Jesus is like snow. He's got this clean, pure brain that's unpolluted and he's got great wisdom. And John describes his eyes like blazing fire, penetrating, able to see into the heart and soul of every human being on the planet. Feet like bronze glowing in a furnace. And it speaks, it's a language that speaks of Jesus being strong and steadfast and powerful. And his voice like the sound of rushing waters. And if you've ever been near a waterfall, it's almost deafening, isn't it? We went to some waterfalls in near Belfast and, and, and there's just beautiful rushing water. It's loud. You can hardly hear one another speak. It's the sound. It's intense. It's clear. It's loud. When Jesus speaks, people listen, or they should. And then John describes the seven stars in his right hand. And the, the stars, we're told later, are like the seven spirits or messengers for each church. And Jesus holds them in his hand. Righteousness, ready to be given to those who are in need of cleansing through the washing of his word. And then John describes a, a sharp, double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, which speaks with authority, with absolute truth you know you don't get any lies from Jesus no deception he speaks with authority and truth and then it says that his face was like the sun in all its brilliance and you, you know that's just a real sense of God's glory of his awe of his power and so this is what John is seeing and, and so what's his response well, John's response is seeing Jesus in this vision is exactly the same as the response that he has on the Mount of Transfiguration. He falls face down. Matthew chapter 17, it says this, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured or changed before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as snow or as light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. While Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The same response from Jesus to a face down terrified disciple. It says this, when the disciples heard this they fell face down to the ground terrified and Jesus, but Jesus came and touched them and he said get up, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one else but Jesus. You know, John has been here before, hasn't he? He has seen a glimpse of Jesus' glory. Whilst before he went to the cross, before he died, resurrected and ascended to heaven, Jesus, uh, John has seen 
a glimpse of Jesus' heavenly glory. And he has witnessed that gentle, reassuring love that came from the Saviour. For Jesus knew that they were terrified. They were quaking in their boots. And it says that as they were coming down the mountain and probably going back to the other disciples, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man, who uses that phrase again, has been raised from the dead. And then in verse 18 of chapter 1 of John's vision, Jesus tells John who he is. Verse 18, he says, I am the living one. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. (coughs) (coughs) And I hold the keys of death and Hades. It's almost like John, uh, Jesus is saying to John, you saw me on the cross. You were there when I breathed my last breath and said it was finished. You looked, you took my mother home and cared for her like your own. You saw my empty tomb and you saw my resurrected body. You saw me ascend to heaven and now I'm giving you a glimpse. I'm giving you a taste. You are really seeing my heavenly glory. The hymn writer Philip Doddridge wrote this, What mysteries, Lord, in thee combine, Jesus once mortal, yet divine, the first, the last, the end, the head, the source of life among the dead. You know, it says, Jesus says here, I have authority over life and death. That's what he's saying. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I have the keys to to death and Hades. He said this to Peter, he said uh, in Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, he's basically saying he has the final word. He has the final word. It's not over until Jesus said it's over. And then Jesus instructs John, write what you have seen. Write therefore what you have seen what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Some scholars Uh, question that word uh, angels they're not sure if it's a particular angel assigned to a church or whether they're talking about the 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 leader of that church but it's very clear that the lampstands are uh, are the churches that are mentioned here And so as we, as we um, progress over the next few weeks, we're going to look at these seven churches, the seven letters uh, written to them. And there is, not, there is not a church on the earth that doesn't 
need to hear, that does not need to hear the words of Jesus in these seven letters. Because there's no perfect church, there's no perfect church leader, and there is no perfect Christ follower. These letters, they contain encouragement, challenge, rebuke, compassion, counsel, warning, and promises. We will be blessed if we read them, and we'll be even more blessed if we put into practice what we read and what we study. That's what it says there. It says, uh, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written, because the time is near. We may not like what these letters contain. We may not agree with what is said. We may even be offended and upset. We will be confronted by beliefs, attitudes and perhaps some of our unholy habits. But ultimately we need to remember who this letter is from. Because the letters don't contain my words. They don't contain the words of our speaker team. They're the words that come directly from heaven, from Jesus himself, from King Jesus, who we read of, who is described in all his glory in this, in this chapter. So let's embrace what he said. Let's make sure we take to heart, we look at, what Jesus is wanting to say to us. I hope that we would respond almost in a way like, like John does. I'm sort of coming to an end. I hope that we would respond like John. That as we encounter Jesus, we would fall face down. We would humble ourselves. We would be drawn to our knees. As we hear the author of life, as we read the words that are presented to us in this revealing, and this unveiling, that we would be ready to fall down like John, like a dead man before Christ. You know, in, in this book, uh, there are many times that John falls down because of what's happening in the vision. Some things traumatic, some things uh, disturb him. There are times where uh, he does fall down, but he also weeps and he worships. And my prayer is almost like the words to this song uh, by Paul Balash. It says, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy Holy, holy. In this book, we hear of uh, the, the, the angels and the elders falling down before the throne and singing holy, holy, holy. There's a, a real sense of awe and splendor of what 
God is revealing through this letter. I hope that we will be the same. And just as uh, the band return, they're on their way. <clears throat> we have an opportunity to engage with what we've heard this morning. I wonder how we will respond to the one who calls himself the Son of Man. The one who calls himself the Living One. The one who calls himself the First and the Last. The beginning and the end. Some people would think Jesus only came 2,000 years ago, but he's, he is, he was, and he is to come. He will always has and he always will be the saviour of the world, the high king of heaven. And if you were to meet him this morning, what would be your response? Would you just walk on by? Would you just want to ignore him? If he spoke to you this morning, would you listen? Or would you turn a deaf ear? Or would you be willing to fall face down before Jesus this morning to humble yourself, to recognise your need of a saviour, the one who knows you intimately, the one who created you, who sustains you, who's put breath in your lungs, the one who has a plan for you, a plan for your good. Are you willing to read and to unpack and to take heart what Jesus says to his church, his bride, the one that he died for and the one he's coming back for? Do you know this morning the only thing that will transform your life forever is an encounter with Jesus? I can spend 20 minutes or even longer talking to you. But at the end of the day, unless you encounter Jesus for yourself, you will stay the same. If you want to be transformed this morning, I'm going to invite you to, to just step forward and come into his presence. We're already in his presence, aren't we? But sometimes we have, like Ken did this morning, sometimes we have to take a step forward. And as we meet with Jesus, we respond. For some of you, that might just be just sit where you are quietly. But for, for some of you, maybe, maybe it's your day to just come and kneel before him or even to lie down at the front. You might go, oh, the floor's a bit mucky. Or, but you know, it's nothing compared to what John went through. Nothing compared to being in a vat of boiling oil or being ostracised to a remote island let's come and fall face down before him this morning